This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Since 1975, the premier local grocer in Portland. And Chris, we're starting once again talking about Oregon Wine Month at your local Zupan. Celebrate with them. They've got great events continuing through May, whether it be wine dinners or vineyard tours. You can see the full list of events on the website, zupans.com. Also, don't miss out on this. We've talked about this a little bit. Nico's Ice Cream. In fact, we've talked about Nico's Ice Cream here on the podcast. It's now available at your local Zupan's Markets, crafted in Northeast Portland. It's a New Zealand-style ice cream featuring Willamette Valley fruit mixed with vanilla ice cream. It's got a uh, soft served feel to it. So pick that up at your local zoo pans. Also check out the sausage of the month at the butcher block, which uh, this month is chorizo verde or some of the other great things that are on sale through May 24th. Save on ranger chicken, fresh and wild king salmon, seedless watermelon, and much, much more. And all of this is happening at your local zoo pans. So stop in today at any one of three locations. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, and Zupans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures, and I'm co-host, Court Johnson. Right. Do we say no longer from the port from Portland radio at cake well, current currently departed from Portland radio. And I should point <laughs> this out there because, uh, I, um, you know, I've been in the business long enough. If you don't say why, why you're no longer somewhere, people start to speculate. I left on my own. I decided it was time for me to move on. I enjoyed my time at kink, um, but I'm moving on to other things. So, uh, no longer at kink, but I enjoyed my 10 and a half years there. Well, did it have anything to do with the, you know, the multiple six-figure income that you're generating from right at the fork? Oh, yes. No, it had everything to do with that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, you know, we, we've been uh, remarkably uh, uh, grateful and uh, and somewhat surprised at the longevity of right at the fork. Uh, but, you know, when you got great sponsors that back you, like uh, Zupan's Markets and Ringside Steakhouse, um, and then, you know, great guests... It makes it super easy. And and I got to say, Chris, because uh, you've just returned from a trip to Europe, one of your uh, many trips to Europe that you do, uh, your first time back in, in years. Um, I was kind of trying to hold down the fort, and, and you do your job as the interviewer so damn well that, like, I apologize in advance for last week's episode and maybe this one, that it just might not be as great as when Chris does the interviewing because you're so oh. natural at it. That's I, too kind of you. I actually listened to uh, your uh, your last week's interview with Cassidy uh, the other day. So it was a fr yes with yeah. Cassidy Quinn. It was the first time ever I listened to this podcast, having not known what I was going to hear. Yeah. So I thought you did a great job, and uh, I was waiting for you. You know this. I was waiting you to for you to get to food because I I wanted to jump in on the dog conversation. Right. So you were having that, and I, of course, I had stuff to say. But no, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I we've been doing this for eight years. I don't think I'm the greatest interviewer. Like anyone, you're going to be critical of yourself and think I should have said that, or maybe I shouldn't have said that. But um, you know, we've gone f the. I don't know what you did, but you know, I used to show up in the studio with a ton of with a sheet of questions and directions to go, and I kind of decided that. A nice conversation is a better way to go, and I just make note of about three or four things that I'd like to cover, and sometimes yeah. we don't cover them all. Right. So, um, but yeah, I no, appreciate it. Your interviews are very conversational, and mine kind of felt, and obviously my background being in radio and doing interviews, and I and I do short burst interviews typically. They give me 10 minutes with somebody. Right. And you do it with the knowledge that you're having the conversation also with, with an audience, and I kept kind of reverting to that in my mind and, and then realizing it in the moment. I'm like, oh, I, like, you don't need to – because I, I think I said this a few times. Tell our listeners. It's like, ugh. It, like, you know. I, I No, I'll, but you, I do that all the time. Let's not just assume sure. that everybody knows who George is at right. whatever restaurant. So you got to do that. Sure. But, you know, you had two radio people talking too, so yeah. or two media folks. So you both – I thought it was – I thought it was great. 
You know, I'm, you can hear I'm getting over jet lag right now, by the way. It was not from listening to your podcast at two in the morning. Thank you. So, I uh, pre- appreciate you pointing that out, Chris. Yeah, you're, you're fresh from Spain. You just got back. You had a great trip to, uh, to Spain with a, uh, a great bunch of people. And um, you've got more trips coming up, right? Well, we're doing this one that we just did to Basque Country with Urdaneta again in September. That one is sold out, but we do have room to our unbelievable trip to Western Sicily with Austria Ensign. Um, uh, I've previewed that, and uh, we've got a bunch of single women and one single guy going at this stage of the game. And we could use a couple more and it's a wonderful trip. We go to um, Palermo. We do an incredible lunch um, overlooking the sea uh, to uh, an old, old city at And we go to some islands. And then I think the highlight of the trip is Agrigento. We we stay at the uh, Villa Athena, hotel and do some cooking classes and so forth so if anybody's interested they're welcome to get in touch with me through the um right at the fork prompt whatever it's chris at portlandfoodadventures.com or you can go to the website portlandfoodadventures.com and see the trip and i might mention we also are doing our trips again this summer on the snake river and we have one spot available with Leaf and Eric from Flying Fish on that trip with Canyon Outfitters, July 17th. One last spot, luck of the draw when couples and singles sign up. That's what we have left. And and it's a finite number. Canyon Outfitters is allowed to uh, license to go on the river at any given time. So uh, I have that one spot. If you're feeling lucky, give me a buzz. Very nice. So, Chris, uh, part of our, our intent uh, is we, you know, take the podcast into its now what we're, we're in our ninth year, right? Is that correct? Right. Eighth year uh, was to, you know, kind of expand who we talk to, not to not just talk to people who are currently working in the food industry, but it kind of in within the idea of talking to people that we might want to sit down and have a great dinner with and just have a great conversation. And so that was that was kind of the purpose behind speaking with Cassidy Quinn last week. Uh, however, I think she had some pretty interesting insight into what she saw as a uh, as a reporter and talking to the uh, the makers and shakers that are in the Portland food scene, but today's guest I'm I'm really excited about. And again, this is another one that you know nothing you haven't heard it before. But uh, Bill Oakley is a television writer and producer. Uh, he's known best probably for writing for The Simpsons, where he was also a co showrunner, ran the show for a couple of years. He was the executive producer and uh, co writer on Portlandia for a season. He's done all sorts of stuff in Hollywood. Uh, but and for the past decade and a half, he's called Portland home. And somewhere along the way, Bill became known as the, quote, Gordon Ramsay of fast food. And uh, we, we talk a little bit about that. It has to do with his critique of fast food and junk food. Um, but in this episode, it's, it's really interesting, Chris. We talk about him growing up in Maryland on the East Coast. He went to Harvard. He was a writer and actually, I think, the vice president for the Harvard Lampoon and got to know Conan O'Brien. In fact, he worked with Conan O'Brien at The Simpsons. Um, so we're going to talk all about that. We're going to talk about what brought him to Portland. And uh, specifically, because of his time at, th- at The Simpsons, we're going to talk about a very specific episode and how that episode has shaped his life. And most recently, with the creation of what's called the Steamed Ham Society. It's this international food lovers society uh, that uh, that Bill has created that's actually founded right here in Portland. So I, I really enjoyed my conversation with Bill. He's a great guy. Um, you might see him uh, around about. He does these reviews, Chris, that are just uh, very tongue-in-cheek, but they're, you know, we, we often see reviews of some of the high-end hoity-toity places around town. Uh, mm-hmm. Bill's going go, Bill's going down to the local Popeyes and trying their chicken sandwiches and giving a a full fledged review, which is great. That's my guy. I mean, we've done we've done podcasts on local chicken sandwiches too. So, yeah. do we get honorary memberships to the society? I, I think once the uh, I think I think we put the episode out. Bill's going to love it so much. He's going to see membership rise and rise, and then I think it's just going to happen. I, uh, I got I got a couple of things that I have to mention. I yeah. assume he's listening to this intro. Of course, my beloved late dog was named Oakley. Yeah, of, right. Seventeen years. Mm-hmm. We could say we named it after Bill. I'd sure. seen him and right uh, that, but. Um, 
also, uh, well, the other thing I wanted to mention, when you said we would like to expand the podcast to talk to people we'd like to sit down and have a meal with, there must be some food connection there. These people must be good eaters, and we need to know that, too. So, obviously, Bill has that connection, and it's a, it's a good start. Cassidy, last week, she's been, she, got, she knew a lot of the chefs we've had on the podcast, yeah. and, of course, she and I met and had lunch when she first started. That's right. She didn't mention that, and I bought, too. <laughs> oh, well. I'll, I'll, I'll send her a, I'll send her a, 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 a text to, or unless you want to do so Chris I want to know if she can remember where that was so that's Ooh, what I that's, that's why I wanted to hear her mention it we'll do that in it a follow up Cl- it was Clyde it was Clyde Common right after uh, Carlo took the helm Carlo LaMagna took the helm at Clyde Common so oh, nice yeah I wanted to go there and check it out but at any rate uh, I didn't mean to move over to an, into another direction. I'm really looking forward to this. You have wet my appetite. It's juicy and it's on the grill and we're going to flip it and uh, and hear your interview with Bill Oakley. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland, West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupans Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years now, Ringside has been providing the best in steaks and has been the home for the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Now featuring dining in their updated dining room and al fresco in one of the nicest outdoor dining spaces in the city. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com and while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about the exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. Featuring the best chef-centric experiences in Portland since 2010. Go to PortlandFoodAdventures.com to see about the exciting trips our host Chris Angelus leads to places you have dreamed of going, like Western Sicily this September. It's time to stretch your international wings and expand your culinary horizons. Let Portland Food Adventures do all the planning to the best dining and culture all over Europe and elsewhere with Portlanders you'll get to know and enjoy. PortlandFoodAdventures.com yeah, so uh, I, pre- I appreciate this. Um, I, I got to say, I've, I've been a follower of yours for a while, and I can't remember if it was on Instagram or on on Twitter. Um, but your Santa Fe chicken sandwich uh, video review, yes, that that went viral a couple of months ago, was really where I was just like, wait, wait it actually did two things. I'm like, damn, this is really funny. But I, then I was like, "Oh shoot, Bill's Bill's here in Portland." I, I don't think I'd ever put together that, that you were living here in Portland, and so it seemed just kind of obvious that uh, a uh, a podcast that we do about the Portland food scene would make sense to have a guy here that's having his own experience with the uh, the Portland food scene, and you're doing oh, yeah. it in probably the most unique way, where you're kind of highlighting, I think, the stuff that people don't necessarily always think about when they think about the the Portland food scene. Oh, absolutely. I think, I mean, I, I should say I've lived here for 13 years uh, and I do, I am, a, I'm very interested in food uh, of every type, uh, but it tends to be a more, I would, it tends to be less upscale than a lot of stuff that gets a lot of coverage in Portland. Like I tend to, what, what people uh, describe as comfort food, I guess, generally food that you don't need a knife and fork for tacos, pizza, burgers, French fries, onion rings, uh, banh mi, sushi, things like that. In general, the, those are the kind of things that I tend to eat. And I also, uh, not only is it just meals, it's also snack foods and stuff as well. Um, and I cover a lot of that on my Instagram. Uh, and I also do video. I do, I do not just, I do photos, I do stuff. And I also do videos, funny videos like the one you described, which are generally for a wider audience than just Portland. So they're often about like national fast food chains, like you described the Carl's Jr. thing or the Jack in the Box one I did recently too. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it would probably be important, at least, at least for our audience to 
to realize why your story so fascinates me because the fact that Bill Oakley is becoming known to some people today as a food influencer that we that we see you showing yes. up on the, uh, the fingers crossed you like that yeah well fingers crossed and in quotation marks because I I get a kick out of the influencer influencer uh, term even even though it's you know there's some reality to it um, but that's that's really not your background uh, which is what I just find so fascinating is that you're a comedy writer you're you you know you know you write in write in hollywood and you've written some on some of the greatest shows of all time including one of my favorites the simpsons um so so tell me this so you grew up on the east coast maryland is that right that's right yeah was was the food the way you're approaching it now the snack foods the the fast foods the tacos the the the, you know the stuff you kind of hold in your hands does this date back to your to your you know your growing up in Maryland and your time at Harvard? Cause, cause that doesn't sound like a very Harvard thing to do to be, you know, in love no, with fast food. I was, the, the, my fascination come, comes from the fact that I was so deprived of it for all those years. I didn't get to have very much fast food at all until I, I was in my late twenties. Like when, when I grew up in Maryland, we lived in the country and this was in, back in the seventies before there was fast food everywhere. Like the nearest McDonald's was in Baltimore or Washington DC. And it, had, it was an hour drive. So my parents would take me once a year on my birthday, maybe. So I think that's part of why I was so fascinated with it. Um, and uh, even when in high school, both in high school and at Harvard, there's no fast food anywhere. You got to, you know, you got to take the subway three stops away to get to the McDonald's or whatever. So like that, like I, I think that it's one of those things also like video games, which I also never had until I was in my 20s, um, right. is another thing that I was deprived of that now I'm overcompensating for, I think is, is probably a good way to psychoanalyze it. It's it's interesting you say that because I, I think that the change, wh- whether it was, you know, I, I grew up in Utah, where um, very similarly, the town I grew up in didn't have any fast food until probably the early 90s, maybe mid 90s when we got our first McDonald's. And that was that was a pretty big deal. And so when my parents took us to McDonald's, and of course, there were eight kids in my family, so we didn't do this very often. Um, it, it was a pretty big pretty big deal but but i feel like by the 90s where it every every town seemed to start having a mcdonald's where going down and and you know getting a couple of big macs just wasn't as big of a deal anymore um so that's interesting i so so the depravity of not having that in your life at a younger age is kind of maybe your catalyst into it or your fascination with it i i would i'd has i would speculate that that's probably the reason uh, it's also, I mean, I like that kind of food and it's also, let's just, I want to make it clear. I'm not exclusively all about fast food chains. I realize that they have their various problems, both in labor and supply issues and climate change and so forth. And sure. what I really like is actually the stuff. I mean, I like that stuff. I do like it quite a bit and I seek out the new things, but I also like in Portland, for example, we have a hundred places that make better burgers than any fast food chain. Uh, and the same with the pizza and the same with the tacos and stuff. So I actually spent a lot of time seeking out local places that do that kind of thing as well. Um, and I've, you know, I've been, I did article, I did the burger when we did the burger ranking. I was part of the team at Portland monthly that did the, the ranking of the best 20 burgers in Portland and other things like eater PDX. We did the thing about my favorite places to eat. So yeah, I do like that. I like that type of food in general. Um, and I do like, I, I'm fascinated by fast food chains. It's true, but I also like the food, I, the elevated versions of the food that you can find all over this town. Certainly. Um, I, I've got a lot of questions on this, but I, I want to connect some 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 threads here before before we really dive into uh, sure. what you're currently doing. I'm, I'm fascinated by the uh, the steamed ham society uh, launch. Thank you um, from just a couple of weeks ago. Um, a- as a fan of of animation and The Simpsons specifically, so I mentioned that you were a writer and you've been a writer on a bunch of different shows. Can you explain? And it's mainly just for me, but I think our audience might be interested in it. That when you're a showrunner, because you were the showrunner for The Simpsons for a, a couple of years. Years. What is that exactly? Does that mean like you're? I, I obviously I would assume that you're in charge of everything, but yeah, it's different than a director because I think oftentimes we think of director of a movie; they're the ones in charge. But I know animated series are completely different because you're working on 22, 24 episodes in a season, and it goes well beyond what we kind of think of as just kind of the outsider looking at at uh, what you guys do. Yeah, I should say for people who aren't that familiar with The Simpsons that uh, my all what you're describing, that was all done with my partner, Josh Weinstein. We were writing partners for a long time, my best friend from high school. Um, we were on The Simpsons for seven years back in the 90s, gradually rising through the ranks to become the showrunners in season seven and eight. And what you're describing, yes, the showrunner is, it's kind of like being the producer and director 
and head writer of a movie all at the same time. Like there's a staff of people, but you make all the decisions. Like the, the, everything that happens in, in general is, is your decision. Like who's going to write this script? What stories are we going to tell? You direct the actors, you supervise the editing, the sound mixing, the animation, all that stuff. So you're in, you are in charge of everything. Um, but obviously you have a staff of hundreds of people uh, to help execute those things. And you did this, uh, and maybe I'm wrong on this. It feels to me at a relatively young age, you were in your late twenties, early thirties, yeah. or maybe all in yeah, your twenties. We started, that, I think when we were 29. Yeah. Is that, is that common to be showrunners at that age or was that kind of unique? I think it was less common in those days. It's just, I think what part of the, we lucked out to a large extent because we, the people who were ahead of us on the totem pole all left like Conan O'Brien. He would, he would have been the next showrunner, but then he got drafted to be a talk show, famous talk show right. host. So yeah. he left. And so we were the most, by, after having been there for like a year and a half, we were the most senior people on the show. And I think it was a lucky, it was a lucky break, a series of lucky breaks that allowed us to take over that position. But we were also very passionate about the show too. So we had a lot of things we wanted to do. Uh, so I think that helped as well. Um, did, did, uh, so did you work with, I was trying to do it in yeah. the math in my head. Did you work with Conan O'Brien when he was there? Yes. Did you overlap in any way? Yeah, well, we both we worked. First of all, we were on the Harvard Lampoon together when, oh, when right. he was a senior yeah. and I was a freshman. And then we also, yeah, we overlapped for about a year and a half uh, there. And there was a period where Conan and me and Josh and one other guy, Dan, were the only employees of the show. Where when all the old guys had left and the new guys had not come in yet for about two months, we were the only writers on the show, and it was really fun. Wow, um, I, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, there's probably some stories to tell there, but that's yeah. not what we're we're here to, to talk about. Um, so uh, you mentioned the Harvard Lampoon. He was he was there at the Harvard Lampoon. You were the vice president of the Harvard Lampoon. What? Yes. Is that what was that what your title? I, I'm basing all of this bill, by the way, off of your Wikipedia, which is yeah, very thorough. In a while. <laughs> it's very, it's very thorough. thorough for up for a certain point. Yes. But what I found really interesting, though, is that the there's this line in here, and you've probably seen this. Both you and Josh have this line about some of the things you did in college. I, you went to separate universities, though, correct? Mm-hmm. You didn't go to college together. But both of you have this line. Both of them were unemployed for a long period. We, so that's I'm, right. <laughs> so, okay. So I guess it's true. I wasn't sure if that was something you you added in or if somebody just in the know added that in. Um, no, we anyway, had about uh, a four-year period of being uh, unemployed to the point that we were just about to give up before we finally got our, our – our, we finally wrote another one last sample script that was really popular and kind of catapulted us from uh, from being unemployed and broke to getting a job on The Simpsons within uh, just a couple months. Very nice. Uh, so what brought you to – what brought you to Portland? You know, it's – I lived in L.A. for like 20 years. And what happened was that L.A. is a difficult – there's a lot of things wrong with Los Angeles, although I love, let me say, I, I like the sunlight and I like the beach. Other things I don't like so much. Uh, it was basically when we had our third child, uh, it became, it's so expensive to raise children in LA. The public schools are lousy. The traffic, taking one child to one school and then coming back takes an hour. Imagine that we're three, you know, the traffic is so bad. And we were like, this lifestyle is not for us. We should move somewhere where we, um, where we can raise our children like a normal place. And we kind of looked around. We had some friends who had moved to Portland in the early 90s who were always evangelizing it. And we came and visited and loved it and you know, did, did our research and decided this was a great place you know, to, to raise the kids. It's not like LA, you can't let your kids want. Like here, when our kids were six-year-old, they could go to Fred Meyer by themselves, you know? And it's like, I, realize, I don't know, I realize maybe that's a little bit of a stretch these days, but like it, it definitely had a vibe, a, a much more small towny vibe, um, where like kids, you don't, the kid can go to the playground by itself when it's seven or eight, you know, where that would never happen in LA. And I know maybe it doesn't even happen today in Portland, but in 2010 it did. And I would have to assume that as, you know, obviously we saw an acceleration of it during the pandemic where the working remotely or not having to be in the office has kind of really changed everything, but you moving up here. So that would have been what, 2008, 2009. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, like working remotely. Was that kind of foreign for your line of work being a a writer? Yes. It was a total freak show. Uh, people thought that I was a freak, uh, and it it definitely was not easy and hasn't, it, it hasn't, it never is quite that easy because people had this obsession with, writer's rooms that you had to have a writer's room executives in particular have this obsession with writer's rooms which are vastly overrated like you know easily half the stuff that you saw on the simpsons did not come from the room it came from one person sitting and writing alone you know and and then it was 
maybe fixed up in the writer's room, but you don't need a writer's room all day long every day, but on contrary to the opinion of, of people making these decisions. So yes, it was weird. Uh, I did a lot of work over Skype on various things. People back when Skype was kind of the gold the standard and thing. Yep. Yeah. And, yep. and uh, I also had to fly to LA frequently. I had to turn down a lot of jobs that required that insisted I moved to LA and I said, no. Um, and so uh, during the pandemic, and also before the pandemic, already slightly before the pandemic, I was working on the Matt Groening show Disenchantment on Netflix uh, by Skype, and it was working really well. And I was only going down there maybe two, I was going there two days every other week. Uh, but during the pandemic, I began to get job offers that they didn't even ask me to move to LA. It was all on Zoom. And so far, that has been a lot of that, especially because I work in animation. Uh, there's no need to, there's no stage or anything. And like, the places I would say are happy to not have to pay $15,000 a month for office space for people to work. You know, the a virtual writer's room works pretty much just as well as a regular writer's room. And so I have been doing uh, a lot more of that. Uh, and yes, the pandemic zoom, nobody had even heard of zoom. Most people had never heard of zoom in right. early in early 2020. And now it's the gold standard for all this stuff. So I, yes, it, that changed things. Definitely. I, I've, I've really been obsessing the last little bit and I don't know why my brain goes here. Cause you know, it's, I, I, it's a reality that will never exist. This idea of being able to go back in time and invest in different companies, you know, like zoom or, and, or, you know, maybe, maybe Tesla, but definitely Bitcoin. I don't know if you've seen how much Bitcoin is these days, yeah. Bill, but like, I, I, I actually had an opportunity to buy some. I'm like, Oh, that's dumb. I don't understand it. So I'm not, I'm not going to spend any sort of money in it. But, um, I found that if I had spent even just 500 bucks, when it started, we'd be millionaires, Bill. Oh man, I should have done that too. I guess I should yeah, have done that too. <laughs> I guess that's my, my point on Zoom. Um, is just the yeah, that like it's it is kind of the that is the standard, and um, they've certainly figured it out. We should point out that like while I think primary your your um, your resume would would include animated uh, TV series and whatnot, you you have worked in live action, and and in fact you you wrote the was it the entire third season of Portlandia. I didn't write it all by myself. I was a writer on well, the show. Well, you were a writer, has yeah. Fred and, Fred and Carrie and the director, head writer, John Kreisel, and I was the other, uh, the fourth person there. Yeah. So, yes, I, I did I did work on Portland. I worked there on the second season briefly as well, uh, and I worked on that episode, the Brunch Village episode. So that's something that happened. You were you were probably in Portland by that point and yes. was able, yes. able to kind of have more of the, the person-to-person collaboration going on as opposed to working remotely, which you had been Exactly, doing. yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I guess you're, so your move to Portland, it was less about the dream of the nineties as Portlandia likes to push, but more of, well, I guess maybe the dream of the nineties in the sense, raise your kids in for that, uh, dream of the nineties or eighties or seventies that we all kind of grew up with where they could, you know, wander their, wander the streets without, uh, yes, exactly. Where your kid, where your kid would go out to play at, at age eight in the morning and come back for dinner at night when the streetlights came on. Uh, yeah, it wasn't exactly like that, but it was far closer than you'd get in Los Angeles or any other big city. I, I'm sure people of our generation, uh, Bill, uh, like I, I tell my kids, I've got a, a 17 year old, uh, b- both daughters, 17 and a 14 year old daughter. And I, I tell them like in the summer, especially I would leave basically after breakfast, waking up whenever that was. And I wouldn't come home until I heard my mom yelling my name that it was dinner time to come home. And, and this, this idea of just wandering and just doing whatever just baffles kids these days but it sounds to some degree that's what you were searching for for your own kids precisely i mean and and uh i think it worked out extremely well uh you know i like uh, today obviously we have cell phones and so forth so the child's more in touch like back right. then your parents didn't know where you were all day you could be gone and certainly on during in high school when i was out on saturday nights and friday nights my parents generally didn't ask where i was going and generally didn't know where i was going <laughs> as long as i was home before they woke up that was pretty right. much tolerable Yep, definitely so. So let's talk about this move um, into into becoming the quote unquote fast food influencer or junk food influencer or just generally food influencer that you become. Um, and and it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, around 2018, 2017 is when you started doing the, the yeah, reviews and, and videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what prompted that? What was that? What was the catalyst for that? You know, I've always been. I should say, by the way, this remains. This is my hobby. I still have to make all my money doing TV. Sure. <laughs> Although maybe that will change. That will change because TV is in a very annoying business that never that's gotten only more annoying. Right. Um, so, and being a quote unquote influencer is a lot more fun. Um, so, okay. So, 
what happened is I've always, as, as we've discussed in, in our preamble here, I've always been interested in these, these things. I've always had opinions about them. I would share them with my family and my friends say that, did you try the Arch Deluxe? You got to try the McDLT. That's the exciting new thing. Did you see those Cheetos, that Flamin' Hot Cool Ranch Cheetos, that kind of thing. So I would, uh, I was posting those opinions on Twitter in general. And then what happened in 2018 was uh, there was a turning point where it was McDonald's, the big day in McDonald's history where they, they stopped having frozen hamburgers for quarter pounders and started using fresh beef. And I went to try them out. I was just going to tweet some photos of it. And then I was like, well, what if I did a video? And so I just did this video, the extremely primitive video where I didn't even know how to paste three shots together. It took me like four hours. And, right. and so I put it on Instagram also where I only had like 70 followers and it got a lot of attention. Uh, it got attention from McDonald's, who said McDonald's Twitter account, which was like, "Hey, congratulations on your new career as a food blogger," and also from the head chef at McDonald's, who really liked it. And my review wasn't even that positive, but it, I was like, "I should um, maybe I'll keep doing this." And then I kept, I basically kept doing it, and it, it only got more and more attention as time went on. And then I added additional facets to it, like I added the, the award show, the end of the year. There's an award show that I have every year on my Instagram called the Steamies, based on the Steam Jams. Everyone, to say everyone who doesn't watch The Simpsons. There's a very famous piece of comedy from The Simpsons that is known as Steamed Hams, which is a segment that I actually happened to write from an episode uh, called 22 Short Films about Springfield, um, which is what we're referring to when we say steamed hams. <laughs> this makes that clear right. to people. Um, so uh, I, I, to capitalize on that, a lot of the things I do are named after steam, steamies. The steamies are an award show that I do on my Instagram every year with uh, you know, talking, awarding the best fast food burrito, the, the best corn chip, the best overseas candy. And I usually get some sort of celebrity of some caliber to present the award. And it's only a minute long each segment. So I do those. Uh, we're coming up on our fifth annual steamy awards this year. Um, and so that thing that I had additional facets to have sort of sprung out of that over the years. Like I got asked to be on TV shows. I got, and now I'm, I'm on the show on history channel called the food that built America. And, and, and I'm a, considered an expert on various fast food items. And I also appear on other shows, other podcasts and things. And, and, I, and then I get asked to do things like these things, like Eater, as I said, Eater PDX did a thing about my favorite places to eat in Portland. I was on the Portland monthly team seeking out the best hamburgers uh, in town and things like that. So it, it has expanded uh, over time to become certainly more time consuming, but also more fun, having more facets. Um, and and not also has expanded way beyond fast food into all sorts of other food and a lot of local Portland stuff as well. Yeah, actually, I, I saw this morning as I opened up my Instagram, um, you had uh, posted in your stories some of the snacks that I don't know if you, I, I can't remember if you had already tried them or were about to. And one, one of the things I keep seeing, Bill, is I, I see all this all the places you're going, some of the things you're eating. And oftentimes when you, when you review like a sandwich, you're getting one for you and one for me. Um, <laughs> that's on the, uh, those are, that's a special line of videos. I do that. They calm Bob Ross style videos. Yep. Uh, which I love. They, they, I do those once every month or two um, where I, I have a real calm PBS style um, <laughs> vibe to them. And I talk yeah. about a fast food at another. It's very sincere. They weren't even meant to be that funny, but the sincerity, I think people find hilarious. Yeah, if I'm not if not my mistaken, the the Santa Fe chicken one that you ended up doing again, that was the one that caught my attention. I, I think uh, Patton Oswalt shared it. Yeah, and, yeah, and and I so that I saw it, and I'm like, and and I watched it just over and over again because of just your dry dry delivery on it, but the sincerity that's there, Bill. Um, but it, it sounds. Like I, I, I think if I think I saw you talk about how you actually had tried to go to Arby's, but the Arby's closest to you had that's closed, right. and you couldn't and you couldn't do it. They didn't have the sandwich anymore. So uh -huh. I was like, I, I want to do a video. I got a couple hours. I want to do a video. What am I going to do? Well, I always liked the sandwich. And that was, yes, it was pure right. serendipity. Um, but people, I think people, there's a lot of people who like the calm, who like calm stuff. There's so much frantic yeah. stuff on the internet right. uh, that, that the calmness of those and the Bob Ross, that's what, it's obviously the secret to Bob Ross's success to some degree is the calm soothingness of it. So I do one of those every month or every six weeks um, in that, PBS kind of style. Yeah, it, it de definitely grabbed my my attention. Um, so explain to me the um, and, and I think you you might not even have the best answer for it. And I and I can't remember what publication coined this term for you. The Gordon Ramsay of fast food uh, is, is yes. what you've been described <laughs> as, uh, which is you know I, I I guess that's a compliment, right? Because yeah, Gordon Ramsay's really great. <laughs> 
but I, I don't quite understand it because you're not a you're not a chef. No, it's just that I'm a I'm a harsh critic. I think okay. it's the thing that like people gener- people tend to like my 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 uh, bad reviews much better. Uh, they, but they, um, they like the soothing ones too. So there's a sure. b- anyway. But the bad reviews always get a lot of people find them funny. So um, I, I don't I don't seek out bad stuff, but I happen to happen upon it from time to time. I think that Gordon Ramsay, the fact that Gordon Ramsay and you know Simon Cowell on American Idol back in the day, sure. someone who gives you the, who, who lays it on the line, <laughs> tells it like it is, no matter how harsh the truth may be. That's what they mean when they say the Gordon Ramsay of fast food. Gotcha. Okay. So, I, so almost kind of to your point, if they had said the um, the uh, Simon Cowell of fast Simon food, Cowell yes. of fast food, then it, that, that's the, be the same thing. connection there. Um, so, how do you go about choosing? Um, what what you're going to review is it just kind of do you have a running list of things you need to get to or is it just kind of spur of the moment kind of kind of like the chicken santa fe sandwich it's both honestly uh it is a thing where uh it depends sometimes there's a great deal of public interest in some item like there was at the launch of the popeye's chicken sandwich or there is upon the return the imminent return of the taco bell mexican pizza where i know like people can just see it there's there's a buzz about it there's a buzz online that's then I take advantage of that. Other times it's just a new item because you know there's a number of websites that are from the for the fast food business that say what new items are launching. Sometimes it's for a new item, and sometimes it's just for something I personally want to do. That you know, like the Five Guys hot dog. That's not that's neither it's neither timely nor more people asking for it, but it's just something I want to try. I, I mix it up and I try not to get too locked into any specific formula because I think that uh, I like to mix it up. Five Guys has a hot dog? Yes, it's interesting and it's quite good. And they fry it, they slice it down the middle, you know, and they fry it on the grill. grill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very good. Very good. I mean, I never get it because I like their burgers enough that I don't want a hot dog when sure. I go there. But that's exactly why I tried it. And uh, sometimes I find these things. I like to also find things and tell people about them, like that Santa Fe chicken sandwich. Been on the menu right. for at least 20 years. It never, they never advertise it. And I, it's one of my favorite things in all of fast food. That's where that came from. And the same with the Jack, Jack in the Box onion rings, which is the, the second one in that series. I never tried them until last year, but I can't believe they're so much better than every other fast food onion ring. So that was why I wanted to tell people about that. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting because I, I um, w- when you start talking about the Santa Fe chicken sandwich, and, and I should say to to our hardcore foodies listen to the podcast. We're going to get to Portland's specific places. Yes, of course. We're, we're talking all about fast food. But I, I think I'm much like you where like I, when I reached the point where I could buy food for myself, um, Bill, when I got into my older teens and I had a job, I, I would tend to go to to the fast food places and, and my, my body paid for it. That's what I can't figure out is is the amount of, of – junk food i'm doing quotation marks again um that i that i see you consuming bill uh, how are you not 700 pounds that's a commonly asked question and the funny thing is i actually don't eat much better than that when i'm not on camera either i tend to eat a lot of frozen pizzas and things of that nature and the, honestly i think the solution is the thing is first of all i don't eat fast food for every meal i only eat it about once a week but i'm not eating that healthy to begin with so but i do also go to the gym every day uh, and I don't, I don't eat a lot of, if I don't like it, the thing, I don't eat very much. You don't finish I think it. Is the thing. Yeah. yeah. And that certainly for all the fast food you see on camera, I never finish that stuff unless I am loving it. Um, and so, and I, I don't, but there are other things, there are plenty of other pizzas and local things I love. And I eat, yeah, every, <laughs> I have a hard time not finishing the things that I eat locally for lunch, you know, every day. And then I get all tired in the afternoon. So um, anyway, yes, I, I do exercise every day and I don't eat. I also don't drink. I don't drink a lot of soda and things like that. I, I don't, you know. I try to. I'm very conscious of my calories right. and how they're apportioned. Like when I go, I, I'm a famous advocate for not getting French fries. I don't like French fries enough to have the calories. It, the same amount of calories you can get another hamburger. Oh, so sure. when I go to a, when I go to McDonald's, um, if I'm hungry, I will get two burgers rather than the burger and the fries. I never get things that I don't. I think I'm going to love. I uh um I I got COVID last year. I'm going to be completely honest with Bill. When I got COVID last year, I lost my sense of smell. And when it came back, um, it's kind of thrown off my sense of smell. So mm. that anything that's been toasted, burnt, heated up, where it's where you get a little browning on it, mm-hmm. has this kind of this I don't know this funk to it, and it, it eventually goes away. But I found that the primary offender is French fries, and I love French fries. 
Um, but um, I guess maybe that's the the one benefit I'll get out of this is that it'll sh- shy me away from from eating French fries. But you're you're making a more uh, purposeful decision not to eat French fries, which is just go for something better that is probably less less calories. Um, I do like that they have the calories on the menu. And I think that's a great innovation of the past decade is, you know, that you have a general idea and I don't want to, I don't want to load up on calories. I also don't like to eat too much at any one sitting either because, you know, then you get tired. I like to feel, I like to have my, <laughs> my full faculties. I don't want to be all filled with meat sweats and stuff. And I'll, <laughs> I like yeah. to be, you know, alert. Which is a, a very real thing. Pausing just a moment here, Chris, to talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, an institution, a Portland institution, Ringside Steakhouse. And get excited because now Ringside is open seven days a week, so you can join them for indoor and heated patio dining any day of the week. The hours are Monday through Thursday, 5 to 9, Friday, 4.30 to 9.30, Saturday. 4 to 9.30, and Sunday, 4 to 9. So everything's close to the same, but go on Ringside's website to check out the updated hours and, of course, uh, see about their prime rib three-course $48 special that is moving back to its historic Monday. Yeah, that's really great. That's one of my favorite things to get at Ringside Steakhouse. So uh, you can put that back on the agenda for a Monday night. Also, keep in mind, because uh, they got really good at this during the pandemic, but they've got Memorial Day meal kits. This is where you let uh, Ringside Steakhouse do all the heavy, hard stuff, and you go and you pick up these meal kits. You've done this before, right? The meal kits? I've done meal kits for sure. They're great, and it's uh, it's easy to pick up and, um, of course, delicious at home, Ringside at home. Certainly. So make those reservations on the website. Check out the hours on the website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. So let's let's talk about specific Portland food that may be still be considered fast food or, or from some from some of the food trucks. Um, because you know they, they are serving a lot of the items that you would get through your local fast food joint. Oh yeah. Do you and they're so you, much better? Uh, and, and and I don't want to necessarily. Do you have if if you've got friends coming to Portland and they're not going to go to a sit down restaurant, but but they're asking maybe about the food trucks. What places are you telling them about? And I know that's probably a, a broad question, and you'll probably least leave some of them out. But do you have some go tos that you always recommend, or that you yourself? Oh my god, consume? yes, yes, I do. I have dozens of them. I literally can go on for hours and hours and hours. Um, and I, if I omit anyone from this, please forgive me because I know that there's so many ones that I that I love. Uh, yeah, you know, I would say the one particular place that I happen to like a, a, a lot is JoJo, JoJo PDX, which is at that cart pod at 36th and Powell, and they have a lot of uh, their chicken sandwich is probably the best in town or tied with it from a basilisk. Uh, they have a lot of other delicious items too. Their burgers, their JoJo's, and they often have specials. Like they had one uh, Artie Buco that was, I guess, Sopranos inspired. One of the best sandwiches I ever ate. They always have terrific stuff there. Right next to it, there's two other ones. This is my uh, the pod that I really like because there's two other great places. There's Bark City Barbecue right next to it, like ten feet away, and there's Matt and Mamers, which is a New Orleans cart, which I also love, also ten feet away. So when I go there, it's very hard for me to decide. Matt Mamers has great po' boys fried alligator bites green fried green tomato po' boy i love them so much um so like but again i have 50 or 60 such places that would right. be that's what kind of a one-stop shopping place but i also like the um that's uh the the core uh food cart pod at uh 82nd near the walmart 82nd summit shack is there they make some of the best food in town the sandwiches there their chicken parmesan is one of the best things i've ever had fried pickles best i've ever had in, in the universe and there's a number of other carts there that have been have kind of come and gone recently but that's my favorite there um as far as uh, burgers sure shot i love sure shot we just did our first steam ham society special with we'll get to that i assume we'll get to that in a moment yep, yep. the um uh, farmer and the beast hit the spot um uh uh, uh, uh and actually, i'm forgetting a lot of other ones but there's so many and not all of them are carts either you know like I, um, but those, I'd say those are the carts. Like I actually tend to eat mostly at food carts and sit down in terms of sit down restaurants, like, or cafes. I love Portland. I love the Bon Me at Portland cafe on Gladstone. Mm-hmm. It, it totally blows me away. I love that place. Um, I love the, um, oh my God. And there's a new, I can't talk, I can't say what it is, but it's, oh, what is this coming out? 
Uh, I, I think in two weeks. Okay. It, uh, it should so, be open by then. Tito's okay. Taquitos. Tito's Taquitos was named one of the best food carts like in 2020 or 2019 that it vanished. It's back at a location in Southwest. I went there to a preview this week. Best Mexican food I've ever had in Portland. Incredibly good. Um, I, I, I can't wait to direct people there when the embargo was lifted on on, on whatever we're, we're waiting for. Um, so that's just a couple of it. And there's pizza. There's pizza places, man. Like I, there's so many. I got it. I have favorites in every category with regards to pizza. Um, and I have also favorite sit-down restaurants like Laurel Horse Market. If I was going to have a have somebody who wanted to come have a nice sit-down meal uh, in kind of a, a fancier setting, it would be Laurel Horse Market, which I love. I've been there many times. I take this one, you know, people come to town who want a nice dinner. That's when I, I go there. Um, for more casual kind of sit-down place, Tulip Shop Tavern has the best onion rings in town, possibly the best fries in town. Uh, as well as a, a, a excellent burgers and other specials that they've had repeatedly, like the Reuben and the chopped cheese sandwich, um, they keep they keep hitting it out of the park with with some of the stuff they're introducing there to a shop to a shop. So so definitely not a uh, a lack of of uh, inspiration. With, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm assuming you probably if somebody asks where they should go, you try to figure out what they're what they're into. I have um, a list. I have a email. People ask me almost every week, and I have a yeah. list of stuff. Um, some of it is from that Eater article, but and I again, I'm sorry to anyone who, who I've omitted because I can't keep them all in my head at one time. But uh, there, I do. I have a list, and I have to sort of narrow down what they want. Do they want indoor dining? They want a food cart? Do they want have a certain genre of uh, right. that they want to eat? Because we have such like the, I don't have to tell people who live here or listen to this podcast. This is the best food city ever. You can have one of the best meals of your life three times a day here if you just know where to look. Sure. And, and kind of to your point, if you, if you find the right, uh, food pod, you know, where you've got multiple carts in there that you, you know, discover great things at, um, I, I'm out here kind of in the burbs on, on the West side. So, and, and Beaverton actually has, um, yes, that not, R, RB, the R, Rose Biggie food pod. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, and it's, it, I mean, you could, you could spend all day there if you wanted to, they kind of just create this great ambiance. Avenue St. Charles is there. That's another uh, New Orleans place. I love is that pod too. Avenue St. Charles. And right. there's other ones there that have come and gone, but um, uh, I can't wait to go back out there again and, and try it. They've got, they've got a wide selection of great places there. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, we've, I've hinted on it. You've hinted on it. Let's talk about the uh, steamed ham society, um, which again spurs from this uh, classic uh, Simpsons episode uh, where uh, principal Skinner is having superintendent Chalmers over for dinner and ends up screwing up dinner. And at, at one point steamed burgers is no steamed ham is served. No, no burgers, Bur- hamburgers that he buys from the fast food place from, are served from crusty, and he claims yeah, that they're called steamed hams. But that's yeah. a regional expression. He just digs himself deeper with all these lies. Yeah. So the phrase steamed hams, and it's also become, it's gone far beyond the Simpsons. It, be, it was the internet meme of the year for 2018. People remix it and all this stuff. And I'm very I'm flattered that it's my thing that they're doing that with. Anyway, it's the most, one of the most well-known things about the Simpsons. So what little cap, what little I can do to capitalize on that, I do. And because Simpsons people have, there's a lot of Simpsons fans out there. So I name my things after it in generally. So steamed ham society is a club. It's basically it's a club. It's it's a club that is handled by Patreon that I'm doing where people. It's for people who are interested in food, the kind of food I cover. You know, I feel like we have let me the, in the broadest terms, people who like high end food have the Michelin guide, and they have the Zigat guide and that kind of thing. But this doesn't really exist for the kind of food that I I deal in, and. It's also heavily it's crowdsourced. So a lot of times when I people are recommending stuff to me, it's not just again, it's not just fast food. It's snacks, it's pizzas, it's mail order food, uh, it's all sorts of stuff. It's kind of a giant national clearinghouse for information about this type of food, and and also for people who are interested in it. Um, so you know, a good example is like. Oprah has this thing every year where it's like her favorite things, and like Oprah picks, for instance, some kind of caramels, and becomes her. It explodes, becomes nationally famous because she's picked it. I feel like we should be doing that, me and the members of the Steam Ham Society, for the things we like. And and there's no reason that we have to listen to what Oprah says we should eat or what Jenna Bush says <laughs> we should read. She has a book club, apparently. Um, I feel like <laughs> we, sh- me, and these uh, and the other members should share this information uh, and you know, and kind of like, it's a community, basically. So we have a Discord server. I wasn't even familiar with Discord, which is incredibly active of just all sorts of stuff all day long. 
recommendations for stuff, recipes, restaurants and stuff. Um, we also have, then there's benefits with each, by the way, if you're interested in this, go to steamedhamssociety.com and you'll find out the information we have there's a number of levels of membership uh even at the lowest you get access to all this the discord my monthly food roundup guide and then as you get uh, you go up in the levels you get more there's merchandise we have stickers we have t-shirts we have a monthly zoom and then at the highest level which is very expensive only for people who got a lot of disposable income uh is a level where you get to have a private zoom with me and we, and we talk about food stuff as well as I'm shipping you a box of my favorite snacks that I found in the past couple months, every quarter. So that's like, um, that because a lot of time and effort for me. So that's why it's expensive. And there's only a few people, there's a limit to how many people can be in that. But anyway, it's basically just a big club for people who are interested in, again, comfort food. I can't find the right term for it, but it's kind of like that kind of food, uh, that we all, that a lot of us really like that is not covered by things like the Zagat guide <laughs> and, and Michelin stars. Yeah, no, I, I, I think the uh, society, which is there in the name is, is, is what it is. It's, it's kind of, it's a special club. It's a society. It's not a fraternity because everybody can join. Um, yeah. I would love it if we could, for instance, hopefully a couple of years from now, there'll be enough members and we'll have enough leverage to say Taco Bell. We want you to bring the double decker taco back. And then they'll bring it back. Like oh, that's sure. the, I want to be able to move the markets and I want to, be, yeah. And then we can yeah. get to get arrested for insider trading. When I give something a bad review <laughs> and, 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 and I tell members beforehand to sell their stock at McDonald's because it's going to drop 10% that, when I give them a the bad le- review. That's the level you're hoping for is the, yes, the uh, right. illegal. That I have to go to, to jail illegal. for moving the markets. Nice. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's interesting. You mentioned, um, Oprah's list. And in fact, it's even more interesting that you went very specific to Carmel's. So uh, I I work in radio and my very first boss, my first program director quit radio because his wife is Polish and started making these uh, gourmet nougats and and caramels and that she would give to us for, for Christmas and holidays. And she, I can't, I can't remember how it happened, but they end up ended up in Oprah's hands somehow and they ended up on oprah's list and literally the company exploded to the point where my boss said i'm i'm out of radio see you guys later and they've been running this successful caramel wow. nougat company for for some time um I'll, I'll have to get you some bill because they they are truly the, like the best i would but, love to try them but but i think hopefully that's i'm gonna ca- hopefully oprah you know oprah's not going to be talking about uh, what the best flavor of Cheetos that you can buy from Canada and have shipped. That's going to be coming from me. So hopefully I'm going to supplant Oprah for that type of thing. (laughs) So again, uh, the, the steamed ham society.com. That's the website. Okay. So that's where people can go to to find out more about this. So where are you? So the special, let me say the other thing that the other important thing to say is that one thing that just kind of recently occurred to me as, as this thing went on was like, Hey, we should have specials, special secret menu items for our members. And this just started this week. Uh, this thing has only been around for less than three weeks. So uh, the other benefit is that there are secret menu items, and hopefully they're going to be all over the country at some point. Now we're starting in Portland. We just had our very first one at SureShot, which, as I said, is one of my favorite burger places ever. Is doing a special that ends today uh, where there's a secret menu item that was created just for the members of the Steamed Ham Society. And you, won't, you wouldn't know about it unless you were a member because there's it's not doesn't appear on the list it's not it's not listed on their on their menu all that all that you know is that there's a sticker with uh, with our logo on it so you know to ask for it so um and and, and i i've i've seen you reenact a scenario where you walk yes. up and you you flash a badge and you're you're suddenly getting this off menu item um no i i think that's great i mean the the off menu uh you know the the secret menu type stuff you know it's not necessarily anything new, but to have it be part of a, a, a society, I, I think it's really great because a, you're going to get something you can't normally order and you're out there, you know, supporting the, the local community. Um, I think it's also like, shot. I like, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. It, it, this, I can just say that this was, this is already far. The sure shot experiment has already far exceeded our, our expectations because there aren't even that many members at uh, right. this thing yet. And, but I think that almost it appears that almost every single one of the ones in Portland has turned out for this and gone back multiple times. So uh, it is like, and also people go, they bring their friends, they order additional things. And so it just, it drives traffic to the restaurant and it doesn't cost the restaurant anything. Um, you know, as opposed to some of these other things like Portland Burger Week, where you've got to pay 500 bucks to be listed in Portland right. Burger Week. Um, this is, is purely, and the, and the restaurant can make up whatever item they want to have to be the special item. So I'm trying not to get in the way. I'm trying to help restaurants or places out by getting traffic over there without yeah. causing them any additional cost or agony during this especially crazy time. 
it's it's uh, for the just for the basic the love of of good food is what it's coming down yeah. to. No, no other yeah. other reason. When it comes to the snacks um, that that you have been and and I've seen some of your I, I think I've seen some of the reviews on. I, I can't remember if they were like the Japanese snacks or whatnot. How are you sourcing those? Are people sending these to you or are you actively yes. looking for them? Both, both. Um, you, uh, you, I mean, you listeners can't see, but you can. This is some of the yeah. snacks behind me here. <laughs> On, I have so many snacks here. Um, people, there's a couple different ways that I get them. Most commonly is that people mail me them. People mail me snacks from all over the world. There's snacks here. It, just behind me, there's snacks from Australia, from England, from Ireland, um, and uh, a lot from Canada and uh, so forth. So people are generally very generous wanting me to try their local potato chips or whatever they, whatever specialty, these candies from Rochester, New York that are famous. There's all sorts of stuff like this that I get. Uh, and it's just civilians mailing me this stuff. Then uh, also occasionally a company will mail me stuff and say, hey, would you give this, would you give our potato chips a try? Would you give our pralines a try? And I say, of course. And then I post, you know, photos about them. Um, and then, uh, you know, once in a while, I get some ex- really excited. I get some a big company is also like, would you try our thing? Uh, and that that only happens somewhat infrequently. So that's how I get the stuff. I also order it if sometimes, especially on our Discord, Steamed Ham Society Discord has really rocketed my like knowledge of this stuff up, like. This stuff, these almonds, these Korean almonds uh, that I just started trying a couple weeks ago, like blew me away. And people, I learned about them from people of the Steve Ham Society, and I ordered them online. Uh, my family kind of has our own version of what you're doing, which is we take a trip to the local grocery outlet. I'm not sure if you got out uh, grocery. Oh yeah, I love that you. place but because it, oftentimes it's just very random things that yeah. you haven't seen or know that have fallen off a truck. And for some reason they can't sell them. And, I love it. And you can find some real finds there. You, you can. And some really bizarre stuff like, uh, food mixed with other food that you would never think to mix yes. together. I, I can't think of a good example right now, but, uh, we've put together some, some pretty creative meals just simply by walking through our grocery outlet. Um, but it sounds like yours is more, more of an internet. Well, actually, I gotta be honest. I I've seen stuff that, yes, yeah, stuff that they get in there. That's like Canadian or stuff. That's like, it feels like it's from a different country. Cause it's got some, some, uh, terminology on it that I don't. Yeah. Don't or it's test marketed but. and fed, some, once in a while you can find that stuff at Dollar Tree as well. Like sure. a, a flavor of barbecue sauce. Like I remember getting, finding the Guinness beer barbecue sauce that was like uh, that I had never seen fr- from a uh, famous, whatever it is, uh, one of those big barbecue sauce companies. Uh, but it was like, there, there's stuff that failed. There was test marketed and failed right. that you can find there. That is always a, a, a treat to see. Have you found um, in your, in your, in the snacking, the stuff you've seen that you have coming in, that's maybe regional or from different countries. Have you been surprised by some of the snacks that you're, you know, that you, you enjoy? I'm like, Oh, Hey, I didn't realize maybe Japan has such a great snacking, whatever. And the stuff is really, have you been able to, you know, centralize or not centralize, but Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not I asking the them, question can... very well here, Bill, you know, but I think, you know what I'm saying? Like countries that have kind of surprised you like, Hey, this place has some really good snacks. Well, number one, Canada. I mean, like Canada's potato chip game is so much better than ours across the board. Oh, the yeah. flavors of the potato chips are so good. They're so much richer. They're so much more intense. Uh, and they have such a wide variety of ones that we don't get here. I mean, sometimes we do say we do get a small brands like Zaps or whatever, or local brands uh, like Tim's, you will see that kind of thing here. But in general, Canada's potato chip game is way better than ours across the board um, in terms of the stuff that I like, at least. Um, also, the, there is like you know, there's different types of stuff like J- Japan. I'd say in Japan, cheese is very different than it is here. And this is something I've only gra- gradually figured out. Like, che- like America, cheese is like a thing that you put in your hamburger. And you have cheese, cheese, cheese is everywhere. In Japan, it, it, from what I gather, cheese is seen as more as a, of a dessert type thing. They don't have a lot of cheese on stuff. And the cheese is often sweet, sweeter. So when you get like, there's a lot of Japanese Cheetos and things, they're always a little bit sweet, which is very strange to me when they have, you know, that their cheese things often tend to be more dessert like uh, to me. So I've been surprised by that. Um, I've also seen some great potato chips from China um, where they've had some, you can get these actually in Portland, you know, there's a couple of different, like there's 99 ranch market. There's the right. Asian family market in Beaverton. You can go out there and even H Mart. Sometimes you find uh, some incredibly delicious, uh, very unusual 
flavors of chips that you would never see. You know, that a lot of them have seafood things, a squid flavor, things like that. Yep. Um, so those are some of the, just some of the broad strokes of things I've found. Yeah, that, that was when I, I was describing um, Grocery Outlet, that H Mart is the exact same thing where you walk through there and there's shrimp puffs, which are yeah. actually re- relatively delicious. They're, they're pretty good. So, Bill, I, I, I got to say, I really appreciate your time. I could talk to you about uh, this all day long. You did ask the question, I think it was on Instagram, and I'm going to give you my response here. And I think this might be for one of your calming food reviews. Yes. A, a fast food item that is underappreciated or, and the backstory on this is, so I, my background is in radio. I've done morning radio, all sorts of different radio. So like 15 years ago, I was on the air and I can't remember why, but I made a pretty bold statement and I, and I still stand behind it is that the filet fish is one of the most underappreciated sandwiches of all time. And listeners at the time came out of the woodworks in support or in like it just upset with me that I would ever say the filet fish is one of the, cause I, I think my opinion has changed on that in the 15 year since, but I think my vote might still for you for your purposes is the filet fish. I'm not sure how you feel about it. The filet fish. I'm not sure the last time you actually had one. I but. feel, I think I had one a few months ago. I would, my response would be, I feel it's adequately appreciated. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it's, that it's, it's appreciated. It's pretty good. It's appreciated as a pretty good item. Like the other, the other places have brought their fish game way up in the past sure. decade. Like Arby's in particular, the crispy fish sandwiches are out of this world. Um, as as Popeyes and even Wendy's to some extent, but but yes, you're, I mean that that remains a classic, and it's the only one that still has a piece of cheese on it, I think. And right. like I, I like it a lot. I often get it. I have, when, sometimes I pull up at that drive-through, and I'm like, I have a I have a craving, a sudden craving for a fillet of fish. And I agree, it has a flavor combination you don't find in any of those other fish sandwiches that just hits the spot sometimes. I took my uh, my fourteen year old to Arby's the other day for the first. I, I'm I'm sure we had taken her to Arby's before, but it, it, there seems to be a lack of Arby's restaurants in the Portland yes. metro area. Yes, yes, right. I can't tell you how how much I would love it if someone would build an Arby's that wasn't so far out <laughs> into the suburbs. Yeah. yeah, in fact, the one nearest to our house. Um, when because we we moved here to Portland in 2011, the one nearest our house is now a Starbucks, and. Um, uh, you know, and it, it, I, I get apparently not enough people supporting it at the time. But anyway, I took my 14 year old to the, through the Arby's and I I got a little bit overwhelmed by just the sheer amount of stuff they have on their menu. There's like they, like it, it's no longer just roast beef sandwiches anymore there, which used to that was their bread and butter. It's and real it's hard like, to make up my mind at Arby's. I agree. I like there's so many things I want to try there and they have like six different areas, just six different types of food. Yeah, like the sliders, the market fresh sandwiches, and and uh, and the roast beef section as well. But like, yes, you're right, and I really like. I would say almost everything I've had at Arby's, I really like. I'm, they're, they're, they're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the market fresh sandwich for whatever reason there was a period when those first came out. They they have the bacon ranch sandwich, which I yeah, that's, that's been always my go to. But we were going there specifically because they were advertising. I think the euros at the time, and my 14 year old had never had a, a euro, which again I think she had. But for some for some reason, we said, "Well, I'll take it Arby's, and we'll try a Euro." <laughs> we we have since corrected that and taken her to an actual Euro cart here in in Portland to make sure she got a more authentic Euro. Okay, good. Experience. I still have to try that. Somebody four, three years ago sent me five dollars to go try the Arby's Euro, and I still have it sitting right here, and I haven't done it yet. So it's earmark, maybe I, earmarked for that. Yeah. All right, Bill. So again, steamedhamsociety.com is the website where people can go and learn more about the society and decide if they want to join. In terms of uh, social media where can people find you that bill oakley uh o-a-k-l-e-y that bill oakley on instagram and on twitter food stuff is on instagram twitter is a variety of different stuff but um you know check out check out the instagram and uh check out and, and you'll there'll be links to steam ham society there you'll see and it's also for people who aren't that familiar with instagram i generally do the videos on my main page but there's also the instagram story which is a different type of thing uh, and that I have, I have content every day, often several times a day about snacks and about local places too. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff, even just up today about, uh, all sorts of different stuff. So check out the story too. If you, if you're a, a, a low usage Instagram member, you might have to get used to using an Instagram story. Sure. And, and I should point out that if people, uh, watch, uh, the, what is it? The food that made America on the history channel, the they may America. occasionally see you. Yeah. That, that yes, that's right. I, I'm, giving you about, I'm on about two 
time, about a minute, maybe a minute total per episode. They usually have about 20 X. By the way, this is a great show. If you're interested in food history and chain food, it's always, it's a great, well put together show that they make very dramatic. <laughs> like oh, man. the battle between McDonald's and Burger King, between Popeye's and, and, and KFC, et cetera. And they, they interview a lot of different experts. And I'm just one of like 25 different ones that they rotate through. But yeah, I just yeah. seen it. Yeah, but Adam Richmond seems to get a lot of FaceTime there. I think he must own the show. I think he's either owned the show or they decided that people love him on that network. So he is on the show. But yeah, he tends to dominate the conversation. Yeah, you know, to your point um, that the episode about KFC was just fascinating because of the the Dave Thomas from Wendy's part that I had that I had no idea about and and the drama that was kind of involved in all that. What I was disappointed about though, Bill, and I know we were just wrapping up uh, was that they didn't talk about. So I grew up in, in Utah, uh, not far from Salt Lake city and Salt Lake city has claimed to the quote world's first KFC. They were the first one of these cafes that bought the, the uh, Kentucky fried chicken franchise from Harlan. Oh, wow. uh, Sanders. Sanders. Yeah. And so uh, they have claim. And, and in fact, the, the, I don't know if there's a funny story, but it was, but it was very much that story of a, a restaurant, an existing restaurant that served Kentucky fried chicken. My parents, when they got married, their wedding dinner was at this Harmon's cafe, Kentucky fried chicken. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And in, in the sixties and, you know, but they're like, Oh, it was fancier than it had cloth, you know, cloth napkins. And it was a sit down restaurant. They've since torn that building down and it's just a straight up, uh, you know, KFC now, but, uh, um, they didn't address that at all, and I was a little disappointed. But I, you know, there was a bigger you. story. There was a bigger story to be told. Uh, well, cool, Bill. I appreciate it, and uh, you know, maybe down the road as the society, the steamed ham society, grows and grows, we can have you back and talk about more about what's going on. I would be thrilled. Thank you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right